Welcome to the Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to. Here you'll find clinicians and researchers discussing cutting-edge research from the embodied relational sciences, explaining why and how people work together to find healing. Thanks for checking out this podcast. The Evidence-Based Therapist is a project of Think Beyond, a listener-funded media house focused on connecting humans through therapy and art. To keep this podcast going, we'd love for you to support us on Patreon by searching patreon.com slash thinkbeyondhealing in your favorite web browser. And don't forget to check out our new merch by going to our website at connectbeyondhealing.com and clicking on the merchandise tab. Hell yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? What are our first words back? I almost said touchdown for some some reason. Primed with the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It was, uh, hey, welcome, welcome back. back to the Evidence-Based Therapist. Where, where we read so you don't have to. But. But. <laughs> we would, we would love it if, if you did. And parenthetical. And sometimes yeah. we would go on for a while. We would previously have yeah, rounds. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like I'm riding a bike. It's all coming back. It's all coming back. Whew. Well, yeah. welcome hey, back, man. Bridger. <laughs> hey, dude. <laughs> I don't know actually this if I've pretty... ever said your name on this podcast. <laughs> hey, Caleb. No, I probably have when I when we were doing Melissa and yeah, like Bridger. Yeah. I'm wondering. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah what yeah. you said, Bridger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said hello, Bridger. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever said that to me, period. That's not really how we talk. Yeah, I guess that's not at all how we yeah. talk. <laughs> I saw it. <laughs> hey, man. Hey. Um, We're back. This is like a, yeah, it feels crazy. Yeah. feels like there should have been like fireworks or something. Uh, well, maybe someone can make that happen. Maybe. Yeah. I know that affectively, it was within me. It was it's it would be coherent if there were fireworks in coherent. Yeah. Congruent even. Yeah. Hey, come on now. Come on now. What do you know about that? <laughs> what do you know about that affective congruence? Yeah. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to presence <laughs> welcome, inside of therapy. Welcome to presencing inside of therapy. Um, no, dude. So glad. Yeah. I know we've just been riffing on this for the past like 30 minutes, yeah. but I'm stoked. <laughs> yeah. To be back. Yeah. Uh, we did a lot in the time that we weren't recording. <laughs> yeah, a lot. You has like happened. have basically finished your dissertation. Yep. I, you oh, had I didn't a tell you this. This child? is a perfect moment for what? the for the episode. Okay. Uh, dissertation defense scheduled for April 11th. Oh my god, that's sick. <laughs> is that Pretty look sick. on your face excitement? Like we're finally here, or is that like <clears throat> April 11th? Oh crap! There's no oh crap. There's a lot that. I'm feeling just in, um, it is a strange grief. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When I clicked accept to the WebEx meeting labeled Bridger Falkenstein's dissertation defense, I hesitated on the button. Yeah. I didn't even expect it. I was in the flow of like going through stuff and just went like, whoa, but it's like my Momentum was arrested mm. before my finger could click. Yeah. And it was just like, hey, wait. Let's make sure. 
how are you feeling right now? Yeah. And it, good is not a word I would use. Hmm. It's positive, but it isn't good. Yeah. It's, it is the end of something. Like a trajectory that I've been on for like two decades. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. How could you can like culminate the journey with like the end? Yeah. You just can't. No, it's very strange. Which is why we have to grieve as humans. We, yeah. you can't just, n- nothing just ends. Right. In its fullness. Right. You always have to grieve. Yeah. And it, as somebody like me personally, I feel that, and I think I've talked about it on this podcast before, if not, definitely I'll notice that and in the Institute just in general, but I feel like play and grief Mm. are two things that I am keenly aware of Mm. in a given moment. Yeah. They just pop out to me kind of. Yeah. And I think that was part of the arrest of, I mean, it just came out of nowhere. This like, it literally felt like my motion stopped. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about it and it just went, stop. And it is, you know, the eye roll of, it is the beginning of so much Mm -hmm. and there's plenty of time. Yeah. But, and also there's probably a very real part of you that's saying like, do I want to stop playing? Yeah. Like, and to that question and that phrasing, absolutely not. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so it, in that way, it kind of feels insignificant, which is strange given how momentous. Significant it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's an hour long dissertation defense that I'm going to share 350 pages of my last two years or really my last 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. No big deal. <laughs> Doesn't feel that yeah. way. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. 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 I think it deserves the space to feel complex. Yep. Yeah. Unnecessary to make it anything. Simple. Yeah. 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 You also like had a giant life change right in the smack dab middle of it. Yep. Yeah. Tried to plan around that. <laughs> Didn't <Yeah>. happen. <laughs> yeah. Got pregnant really fast. Yes. Yeah. Thought it would take you, some time. You got pregnant. No, no. I resist that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> resist it. Yeah. Olivia did a great job. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah. Goldie has been born and is six months old. Six months old. Heck yeah. Yeah. Tried uh, a solution of oatmeal and breast milk for the first time last night. Ooh. So she, she loved it. Okay. Took very positively to it. Safe surprise. Yeah. You know, it's just, I was prepared. Yeah. For a wide range of affective experience on my yeah, toddler. Yeah. Ready to do a tune. Yeah. Whatever. The whole way. Yeah. <laughs> but as she grabbed onto the spoon and kind of gave a furrowed brow, which I appreciate about her. Mm-hmm. And I feel it out. Take some time. Yeah. And then I think as the familiarity of the breast milk created an openness to the novelty of the oatmeal. And in that, she rejoiced. <laughs> And that is apparent simultaneity of activation. Amen. And I felt like we together and a wiring together. We rode that the whole way. She got progressively more excited throughout each bite and progressively 
messier. Um, and we were going at it together. Yes. It was awesome. Truly. <laughs> That's awesome. I yeah, love that. Truly. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. So that's going beyond cruising right along. Cooking. Yeah. You did body and mind. Training. Yeah. Sorry if that new, was loud. Did a whole new training, which is went so good. And there will be so many more. Um, teaching a somatic training, very different from teaching SIP one and two. Yeah. Uh, Can you share a little bit about that? I know yeah. we've talked a lot about yeah, it, yeah. but whatever yeah. feels. Yeah. I would just say like, it's interesting you're I like my experience is you're always going to feel the pendulation. So in SIP one, when we're talking about the beautiful synthesizing potential of a case conceptualization model, like SIP people are like the feedback we will sometimes get is like, this is just absolutely amazing. I wish it was a little bit more practical. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay. So then you do a somatic training and the feedback is, this was absolutely amazing. I want to know more about the information. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a beautiful, like, it, I love that the brain is always looking to, to balance itself. Yeah. The left hemisphere always wants to get involved in right hemisphere work and vice versa. Yep. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, more, more beautiful than I think Melissa or I could have imagined as nice. far as, like, therapists really learning because the goal of it was you can get deep in working with the body without being a somatic quote-unquote trained touch therapist or functional movement specialist yeah you can engage movement in the therapeutic room uh, within the therapeutic hour and unlock deep potential in that moment um, and it doesn't have to be scary or odd or awkward um and so i think we i think we did that and it, people seem to really like feel confident and like oh shoot we can include the body and that's exciting how was the experience of that hemispheric familiarity mm. to you as the trainer yeah very dissonant um mostly because uh i actually got a tattoo after <laughs> After the training to sort of talk of like remind myself of this experience. Yeah. Um, but similar to in Harry Potter, there's the Thestrals, which are these like animals that you can't see until you've seen death. And so other people not like Margles, which people yeah, yeah. misattribute. Yeah. So like um Ron like uh, Hermione and Ron think that the um carts that are taking students to Hogwarts are pulled by quote unquote magic. magic. Harry and Luna Lovegood, who have seen death, see that it's a Thestral. Harry Potter, the boy yeah. who lived. Just yeah, yeah, to yeah, like yeah, yeah. just to like <laughs> Yeah. Who actually couldn't see them until he saw um uh Severus's death. Yes. Which is an interesting childhood amnesia Immersed commentary. In death, but um yes. Anyway, so that to me is like a beautiful picture of like there are things you can't really talk about in depth until you experience them. And I feel like teaching how to integrate the body in therapy is it's so difficult to talk about it before doing it. And and so I feel like we kind of like the first day and a half was like dissonant because I'm like, I'm telling you things that make no sense until you are there yeah. and experiencing it in the moment. 
once you experience it, then you can really start to understand like what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, we live in a left hemispheric society. So you come to a training and you expect left hemispheric information. And so we have to give that at first. But the second we started to jump into the right hemisphere experiencing, it was just a much better flow to go from right to left than it was to try to talk about what we're going to do in the right through the left. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Dissonant, but um, relieved, if that makes sense. Started with a sort of like, oh, this is hard to do. This is hard to talk about mm. until we did it. And then it was like, ah, now you understand. Yeah. Yeah. Now you see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It also feels like there's a, like a whisper of, my mind is searching for something around thoughtful, mindful, something about the intimacy of that acquaintance switching sides mm. from SIP information overload, yeah, application, you know, minimal to something application overload, yeah, information minimum, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's in it it felt in almost because everybody has taken SIP who took that training and it's kind of a requirement moving forward, there is a sort of like disconfirming experience to feel beyond in the state we talk about being more often in Yeah. And SIP one where a lot of our case examples and stuff are like, you know, this is how we do it in, in therapy, but we're not fully embodying it in the way that it would look in therapy. Right. Whereas like in the training, it's like Mel and I were very much more of the posture of like, this is how we do this in therapy. Yeah. Like welcome. There's a gift in that. Oh that's yeah. That's foreign to the SIP kind of space. Yeah. Um, Which like uh, we say, it, or I say it all the time in SIP one, when we train, like you can't dissect a living thing. Yeah. But it, you can learn a lot from the autopsy room. Yeah, um, for like sure. You you can SIP is so beautiful when it is seen as like a tool to understand. Yeah, but then to go into the into the room where you're sitting with another live human being, it's like beyond asking the question, "Where do you feel that in your body?" and not knowing what to do after that. What do you do after that? Yeah, um, so, yeah, yeah. Well, this little series that we put together, um, I think, will be a good way to reflect on that in this space mm -hmm. in evidence-based therapist yeah um so for the listener um caleb and i've been working on the idea for this polyvagal manuscript and from that <clears throat> um for me personally it's felt like the perspective we're wanting to share is somewhat novel to the literature base and I feel that that has given us pause in just putting it out there, like just throwing stuff together yeah. and publishing it. Yeah. And for me, which is how feels very authentic to how I work and I've experienced, I have many playful moments of memory templates with you that I feel like you're familiar with doing this as well, that when I feel those moments of pause, 
I I search for landscape and orient. Well, yeah, orienting yeah. for context and tools for discovery. Yeah, and that's where, in part, this little mini series on therapeutic presence and polyvagal theory has come from. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you would add anything. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like the when we were working on the manuscript, it just it got clunky because it's there's like a point at which you're trying to speak about something that happens in presence with another human. This joining of a short sort of shared symbolic language, a mythology, worldview. Yeah, worldview, scientific orientation. Yeah. And it's hard to name why that's important without like the support of other literature saying like why are you even trying to come quote unquote come together? Right. Um it, and I feel like in the writing process it was just like there's some things missing. Yeah. But well, it's not as easily available to like the Google Scholar search of like, yeah. let me just see like who else is writing about polyvagal theory and mythology or symbolic myths in the therapeutic alliance. Like, right. Using keywords to yeah, try and find. Yeah. It's like, okay, that's not going to work. So, it does not work. No. Yeah. So we've yeah, got to kind of bring in a different. And I think there's one element to this like impetus that feels important for me to name, which is that in this writing process, we have agreed to maintain our authenticity. Yeah. Which is, we haven't talked like that, but that's just you and I together. Yeah. We're not going to do anything. <laughs> like yeah. it's just such an unspoken phenomenology that I feel like was always going to be the case. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is because within publishing this academic veil of how literature is produced and marketed or shared, we could easily find a journal that is acquainted with the vernacular of myth and phenomenology and relationship. We could also find a journal that is well acquainted with the neurobiological reality of attunement. Yeah. But to find something that is willing to talk about them both and see them equally yeah. contributing to the power of insight and discovery and opportunity or, or mobilization, yeah, that's what's hard. Yeah. And I think what we're going through in this process is to figure out what language we need to use to invite both of those sides to have a conversation together. Yeah. Like that's one of the ultimate goals. I would say for me, I don't know yeah, how you would totally. phrase it, but yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a, what's the, uh, I forget the term of like thinking that the past is always better than the present. Like mm -hmm. ancient wisdom always knew more than we do. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that and say like really polyvagal theory could just be summed up in a biblical myth perspective. Right. But I also don't want to do the opposite of rewriting the past with just the newest science of, you know, let's bring the biblical myth into a polyvagal perspective. It's like, I want to talk about, and I feel like we want to talk about like, what's the importance of seeing that those may be talking about the same thing. Exactly. Like just as equals, um, almost like meeting for coffee. Right. Rather than, uh, or sitting in a therapy room 
um, like you and your client probably are doing. Yes. Um, yeah. Could we find that? Right. Um, and I think pers- I, I think presence is going to be an important decorum of the space we're trying to create. Mm-hmm. That that feels like a very like the degree of fit for both of those conversations is high mm-hmm. in presence. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, they're both welcome. They're seen as equals with really, which we'll get into the article um, or the, the mini series, but presence has an interest, like the literature based on presence has an interesting motive. It seems mm-hmm. where it's almost similar to like the humanistic tradition. It's trying to vie for like a theoretical orientation Mm-hmm. Whereas I think you and I are seeing it as a neurobiological reality, not yeah. owned by any orientation yeah. or intervention approach. It's real whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Yeah. Or how you acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And not to mention, like, I we joked a little bit before starting the recording, like, this is also just part of the original blossom of ebt and wanting to help therapists have access to research that does help them in the in the day-to-day of therapy like you can't go wrong talking about your presence in the room true (laughs) like you just you could talk about it forever and this article talks about it in a beautifully succinct way yeah um and so it's it's worthwhile whether we're aiming for the manuscript or you're just listening just to get a little bit of um, a little bit of zhuzh in your day to yeah, help yeah, you yeah. in the in the therapy room. Yeah, which um, I feel like is a, a a lion's share of our listener base. Yeah, like yeah, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. guys are here. We're excited. <laughs> welcome. Um, All that to say, welcome back. Welcome back. That's the end of the parentheses. <laughs> that's the, that's <laughs> in the end of the parenthetical. <laughs> Nailed it. Whoa, <laughs> that's true. That's, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Welcome. That feels right. That was our. Uh, that was our. Um, uh, you know, like on the article, it has like a one and a two next to the, right. the authors. And yeah, shows, to denote their yeah, yeah. space. and Yeah, that was our uh, yeah. Yeah, introduction. The first 20 minutes <laughs> of the episode. <laughs> nice. Nice. If you stuck through that, thanks. Yeah, I think it was, I would imagine, you know, like if, um, if Between Us finally publishes. Season three. Season three, which has been. Which if you're listening. <laughs> Please. Come on. Please. Just publish it. Just do it. Yeah. It's okay. I did send a tweet to him and say, you should either do um, Alan Shore or Jessica Benjamin for your next season because he was taking recommendations. Well, there you go. That's. We'll see. That's all. But sorry, that's a whole. You were saying. Well, no, I was saying like in their first episode, if they don't talk about why it's been four years <laughs> since I've heard their voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll feel <laughs> detached. Yeah. I'll feel like I'm missing something. Yeah. And so I hope that if you're listening to this, this felt nice to hear. Yeah. Or listening yeah. to. We caught you up on the last year. Yeah. Sometime. Six months, seven months. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's all relative, really. It's a construct. What is time? Yeah. So today, well, yeah, I want to orient to oh. the, the mini series just a little bit and then yes. we'll dive in. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. the three articles that we're going to be reviewing uh, within this mini series are Therapeutic Presence by Geller and Greenberg, 2002, going back in the archives. <laughs> Presence Psychotherapy by Lepak and Carson, 2022. Oh, hey. Recent. Recent. 
Getting Chat old, GPT though. doesn't even have that. Uh, come on now. <laughs> and then revolutionizing addiction treatment with the felt sense polyvagal model oh, that by Lynn sense. Hall and Porges. Oh, that felt sense I'm model. sensing a trajectory. It's almost like we're headed in a direction. Wow. What an interesting idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. So super excited to be with you, man, for yeah. real. Yeah. Like we don't get to hang out. We don't have to talk about that part. We haven't gotten to do this in a while. Yes. And this is a very special thing for me yeah. to get to share yeah. in with you. This is a sacred ritual. 100%. And I feel like our listeners know that. Like yeah. they're, they're also sacred, sacredly r- ritualizing the listening. Yeah. So, Whether you're on your car ride or your run, shower, I don't know. Just staring off into space. Yeah. <laughs> like I do sometimes. All the podcasts. time. Not enough, really. <laughs> um, yeah. So welcome, and we're glad you're here. Yeah. This is uh, jump into the I'm article. In, I'm okay, in. can you tell I'm just excited we're to fully talk about it? Now. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I will just say, reading this article, I had a lot of one. I feel like we used to always say this, like you should just read it. Like this is one. There's not a particularly therapists. But I also think like if you're a client or somebody just interested in therapy, like this article would be particularly interesting to read to know like what therapy is, like what a core component of understanding therapy is, which yeah. is what's the process or the core components of being with another human well. Um, and I think for counselors in particular, this article just had me all sorts of jacked mm. because it's practical like it synthesizes it puts it into digestible data bits um and really gives kind of a stepping stone approach to how can you as a clinician better orient to what presencing means yeah Um, yeah and the the article starts out by defining from the literature what presence has been historically up to the point of this article and i liked um just in the second paragraph there defining uh, Bugenthal's presence as three components, availability and openness, openness to one's own experience, and the capacity to respond to the client from this experience. That really, for me, is, a, is the holding environment for what we're really trying to do in therapy, mm-hmm. is I want to extend the invitation to be open to my own experience and to be able to experience you through that those two lenses yeah through the reaching out and in yeah 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 and you can tell i'm not trying to orientation blame or shame but you can tell (laughs) you can tell a lot about a therapist by their relationship with those three components yeah oh yeah and you can see historically where certain theories have like entire epochs of our field's literature base yeah prioritized one to the neglect of another and been in the wrestle match. And yeah. 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 I do also like the, cause they, they go on from there to bring up kind of the father of like presence, presence. <laughs> Carl Rogers is himself. Yeah. Take a moment. Uh, <laughs> rest in peace, Carl. Um, we're on a first name basis. Yeah, yeah. But to, to also give kind of reference to, Carl Rogers path in this 
process that, you know, he has the three uh, congruence, unconditional positive regard and empathetic listening um, as sort of the three major components of his person-centered therapy. But then they, they come in with this to comment on his development, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. And, and really give some like historicity towards Rogers's uh, like trajectory at the end of his life saying like, well, maybe there's a fourth component. Maybe there's a fourth component that emerges when you have the three. And he was like kind of wrestling with maybe I've overemphasized the three too much. Love that. Um, Yeah. 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 So humanizing of a theory and a theorist. Yeah, Um, truly. And to show also just the in process nature of trying to flesh out something that can at times feel really mysterious, like therapy. Yeah. Like what is this thing? Yeah. If you don't look at it from an intervention perspective, it's almost like you're, you're cast off into this chasmic like divide of ethereal ideas that to put language to that is hard. Yes. And so to show just in one major contributor's development that he wrestled with that, Mm -hmm. as we can tell. Yeah. 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 Which I think like neuroscience, not as like a, they finished the project, Mm. but they've started to really give credence again to this idea of presence. Yeah. You know, I think of like, all of Dan Siegel's work, all of Alan Shore's work, all of, you know, anybody who's studying the neuroscience of relationality is now breathing new life into this discussion of like, what does it mean to be present? And the complexity of the integration of brain, mind, and connection. Yeah. There. Bringing it into modern consciousness. Yeah. Like with the tools that we have of inquiry and insight and, and biological connectivity and reality here's what we can make of this pre-existing history, which is rich and robust and expansive and dynamic and complicated, complex. Yeah. 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 Which I, you know, I love maybe just a comment here because I have it in ringing in my head is like any conversation you're having about really anything, but I'll like zoom it down to this idea of like, what does it mean to be present in therapy with your client? The, the words are like approximations to the subjective reality. So like yeah. you're just, the words we're going to use are from the article and they're beautiful words and very like worth using. And at the same time, like I loved, I loved reading this and, and feeling like embodied gaps myself. Totally. Of like. Doesn't oh, quite I, capture it. Yeah. I don't know if I would have used like that language or like. There's a specific part of presence that I notice in, in yourself and your personal practice. and practice life that maybe doesn't feel totally like it's represented in totally. this article. And yeah, yeah, I think as listeners are like hearing us talk about it, I would love like the contemplative practice of what what symbolic approximations or what language would you put to what it means for you to be present? Yeah, and um, I, I think that not to dive too deep into philosophy for or orientation, but the post-structuralist thought that, and I, I'm going to speak for you and please like speak into where yeah. you're not quite yeah. there, but we don't believe that there is one truth. Mm. And Yovanovitch, the article that we 
did last season Heck spoke yeah. to this with yeah. like primary and secondary realities or, yeah. or fixtures of objectivity that if you were to talk about one truth, it's through your perspective of that one yeah. truth. Yeah. It's through the secondary means. Yeah. And that for me leads into this whole idea of there are so there are as many truths as there are opportunities to realize it or speak to it, meaning mm-hmm. it's as duplicitous as there are people from all time. <laughs> so yeah. to try and claim or carve out a market, you know, a corner of a market on an idea, that's not the point. Mm. Um, so these, the way we're coming to this article is to offer the language as one side of the diamond in a way, like mm. one perspective of this word mosaic that's trying to get at what is presence. Yeah. Yeah. How can I do it? Well, it's very similar to what we were talking about earlier with the body and mind training. It's like, yeah. How do I put language to the thing that we all know, but know it differently? Yeah. Because we're we're bodies, which is shared reality, but we're different bodies. Yeah. And, and to your comment about the hemispheric dominance of our culture, not only do we all have it and know it, and it's unique, but we are not well acquainted with trying to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In an embodied way. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Love well, also that they throw in Boober, like I, right yeah. up front. Yeah. Praise God. You can you can really catch me anytime you say I thou. I'm in. Actually, my partner Addy and I were just joking about like that was the moment I was like, okay, like we're gonna we're we'll gonna be, be together. together for a long time. Yeah. She knew a Bronfenbrunner and Boober, and I was like, Deal. Deal. Sign me up. <laughs> Sign me up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm in. You mentioned Boober. You got me. Yeah. All real living is meeting. <sighs> All real living. Like the realness yeah. is the meeting. Ah, oh, I love that. And healing emerges from the meeting that occurs between the two people as they become fully present to each other. Yeah. yeah. Which is an interesting. So not to sidetrack this too much, but I took a training on Lacanian uh, psychotherapy. He's a psychoanalyst, French uh, analyst. And he like conceptualized his whole theory, the, uh, therapy or kind of the analysis as a whole as a subject to subject approximation through language of remembering the self as holistically as possible. Yeah. And he, he had this fancy French word for it that involves some sort of amnesia, amnesia mm-hmm. prefix. Um, but it really reminds me of that, of like, really healing is just can you be who you are? Yeah. Like, as much as possible. Well, what I like about bringing in Lacan to this conversation is what I see as a postural difference in belief. Mm. Where, and I'm aware of different things of that Buber wrote that this out of context feels kind of misrepresentative yeah because this idea of fully present to each other that's an interesting idea that i think lacan gets at and says like that idea in the present moment is nebulous yeah like it's you don't even know what that is or how to be it it's too real like it's 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 too much i can't be fully present um, because my approximations are not sufficient to represent that. And they change as I try. Yes. So that's an interesting difference where to talk about how fully represented a memory 
of self is. That's interesting. Yeah. Because that's somewhat more fixed than the present opportunity to express. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me so much of like, if you're going to be present, you have to acknowledge what we've acknowledged in previous episodes that all you are is memory. Yeah. Like that's, and then I guess we're already to the place of realizing like, where would we add? Oh yeah. There's <laughs> going to be subjective points. approximation. It, There's going to be, be points throughout the episode. Talk that. about how being fully present means that you're in some way open to remembering. Um, that that's a conditional relationship. Yeah. To be fully present is to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Uh, open okay okay (laughs) i do want to note because this feels like something we could get jacked on a little bit qualitative research yeah so that is the methodology of this this article yeah it is a qualitative study Um, yes i feel like just because we've already talked about your dissertation like it's like a little bit of like a t-ball like just knock this. Yeah, one out how of long the do park? you want to talk yeah. about it? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'm most. We curious. could have one episode devoted to the methodology. That's if you true. Really want That's to, like, <laughs> I guess maybe uh, thirty thousand foot. Your well, felt experience of the method methodology. Okay, so the way I talk with my students is that your methodology should be discovered through your research question. Mm. Don't start out with. I'm going to do a quantitative or I'm going to do a qualitative or I'm going to do a mixed methods, which is how a lot of people come to totally science in general. Yeah. I want to know what tool I'm going to use first. And that to me is a broken relationship already. Like you're already having intentions towards the phenomenon you're hoping to capture. So let's zoom out. I love how they arrived at qualitative because, and this is, this is older, you know, this is 22 years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. But even now, today, the quantitative means of discovering and illuminating presence are limited to either a self-report or an expertized witness mm. or, or an observer. Yeah. And that quantitative discovery can only get you so far. It's only going to describe a picture to you. Yeah. Not help you feel into the moment. Yeah. To me, the one of the ways I describe it, it's like the difference between looking at a picture of a film, watching a trailer of a film, watching the full film, being on the set in the film, and being an actor in the film. Yeah. Like those are very different. Yeah, that's beautiful. Perspectives. Yeah. That it just depends on what you're after. If you want to know what the color was like in a shot, you can look at that picture. You're like, okay, there it is. Yeah. Lots of different colors going on. Here's seems to be the aesthetic or whatever. But if you want to know how the actor who is playing a role felt about that, that picture is going to be useless. Yeah. To help you understand. Yeah. What's it's actually going on the there. editor. Exactly. Yeah. Like you're getting more of a sense of the director, the producer, the editor, the way the company decided to package it and use perspective, et cetera. And so arriving at a qualitative means of interacting with therapists felt like a very congruent means of exploring this question, mm. which was, and as explicitly stated in the article, what does presence mean to a therapist? And that's a great, that's perfect. Yeah. Sending them a presence you know, questionnaire is going to get you relatively nothing. Yeah. That relies on those approximations we were just talking about where their experience could be represented by the words you chose to put into the question right. quantitatively. Right. 
relatively useless mm-hmm. um, and has been done before. So what are we doing to advance our knowledge? So using the qualitative method as a whole, which is a large landscape of potential methodologies, I agree with. Loved it. Mm-hmm. Very good. When you step into the world of qualitative inquiry, you now have philosophies that you're contending with, both consciously and unconsciously, where, which was very interesting. And I, I'm going to need your help parsing this out because it's a whole world in my head. Yeah. But the postural beliefs of the researcher in this article, as we can tell, were to go to the experiencer, the therapist they interviewed, and then to leave them and make sense of in themselves yeah. what they heard yeah. the therapist say. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. That's going to change a ton. Yeah. Well, first they, they, a uh, little interesting tidbit I found it like they, they went to these therapists, told them for the next week. Yeah. Yeah. Notice. Then they came back. Did an interview. Did the interview. Then they leave and it's all up to them to make sense of it. Right, right. Yeah. Which is interesting. I, I would wondered not, if they were going to come back and check. Which I, yes, that was one piece that I was really looking for. And in the language of the article, because I looked for this, they did identify three expert therapists to check their synthesis with. They did not yeah. say if they were included in the interviewer or the interviewee pool or not. So yeah. we don't know. It could have been three people. Yeah. But if I were, if I were recommending a methodology for this, I would have created the categories together collaboratively with mm. the therapists, yeah, and carried out multiple interviews to reach saturation or or a synthesis that's agreeable. Yeah, that way you have multiple opportunities to check what in qualitative is called the hidden meaning um, of those silences. Yeah, where these approximations don't get to get. They're not able to be checked if you yeah. just pull away. Yes. Now you're in this world with your co-researcher getting jacked on things, and that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. But does that misrepresent the experience of those who you interviewed? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which still cool research. Very cool. Very cool. But there, it, it could, you know, like every good research study. There could have been some cool things to add. Yeah. And maybe do it again that way. And it is interesting that they did not reference anything about that in their limitations, mm. which to me shows a a disconnect in their mind mm. um, because there wasn't that transparency in the limitation section of, we recognize that this is meaning we made of someone else's experience, not yeah. their experience. Yeah. Yeah. It was just published. Yeah. So it's like, no, this was their experience. So the model that was developed from this article represents the way those people do therapy. Mm-hmm. Can't say that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which is its own sort of like not to get meta, but I think to see the fractalizing qualities of research or presence in general, like when we do consultation with clinicians, like we will conceptualize cases and also end every conceptualization with a sort of open and honest consensual um disclaimer yeah of i don't know this person when you go into that room what we've talked about may be utter falsities like nonsense yeah because it's not we were making sense of something that we experienced and maybe what we were experiencing isn't totally one-to-one 
doesn't mean it was not worthwhile to conceptualize. Yeah. It just means now you have comparative data exactly. to start to play with. A different reference point. Yeah. 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 And I see in reading through this how they like that omission of consciousness or at least in publication makes sense to me based on what I felt of the authors coming through and how they handled the data. Mm. There was a lot of struggling with this idea of bracketing um, or trying to separate you, this idea of non-attachment, trying to separate the person of the therapist, and I'm reading into it, the person of the researcher, um, from the data they're interacting with. For mm. the therapist, that's the client. For the researcher, that's the therapists who are talking about the client. Yeah. So that is a, is a specific type of qualitative inquiry that I personally believe is not real. Like, mm. you cannot bracket your experience. I don't yeah. care. Like, yeah. don't care. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've read all kinds of things that are trying to argue the point and the necessity for doing ethical research to bracket your experience. You cannot do it. Yeah. I believe. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, cause I want to jump into the article that, so they actually talk about that in the therapeutic moment, Yeah, but they talk about it in reference to preparing the ground for therapeutic presence. Yeah. Should so, we define the model first and then talk about this point? Or do you feel like we could? I'm going to go at this point okay. and then it'll probably come around. We'll take another loop. But I did love, they use such embodied language at multiple points and one of the things they did talk about in this sort of bracketing of the therapist experience to be open to the client's experience. So one thing they're talking about is like you come in with expectations of what the therapy hour is going to be like. Yeah, at multiple levels. One, like what the session will be like. Also your own theoretical orientation. Yeah, like yeah. Like what you're interested in or yes. where you want to go. Yeah, and and I I. I hope it wasn't on accident that they used specific language. Like instead of um, instead of saying something like, you know, the therapist should get rid of totally bracket out their experience before entering, they say, put aside. So like this and to me, that more gentle, totally. It, It feels more real to what you're saying is like, you can't get rid of that. Yeah. But could you have some sort of dual awareness that allows for an openness? So like you're putting aside at any moment ready to bring in if it's helpful to the therapeutic moment. Yeah. What do you think about this is spinning up and that's why we're here together. Yeah. Welcome. So (laughs) what do you think about the motivation to even say something like that? To even say put aside? Because for me, just honestly, I would never write anything like this. To say the therapist should be able to put aside. Yeah. Like I would never, I don't believe in that. Yeah. Which is an interesting, like I think, I think they, I, they say at several moments that there's like a, a paradox. I think yep. par- the word paradox comes up multiple times. Yes. In the discussion for sure. Yeah. And, and I think they're wrestling with the dialectic tension. Yes, where tension is going to come up for yeah. me as we go through this. They're saying yeah. these things like you put aside, but then you're also always willing to share. Like that's a dialectic that's a, tension. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think putting aside to me felt softer in the way of like um, the, uh, more akin to maybe the word open. Mm-hmm. Like it's 
your brain's not closed on this is how it has to be. Yeah. This is a potential or a possibility. It's in the plane of possibility what could emerge in therapy. But holding it in that plane of possibility means that it could very well be an actuality. Yeah. Which to me feels more honest about a, a human doing therapy is that the human is going to come in with themselves. Yeah. Putting aside. Yeah. Which human are you talking about? Both. Yes. Yeah. That and, to me is one of the key points. Yeah. 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 And and I think I to be fair to the authors, like I think that that's a dialectic tension that's really hard to write well. And that uh, we're not privy to their wrestling with. Totally. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. Like. Yeah. They could have had a lot of dope conversations yeah, yeah, about yeah. like what is this feel like? They did. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. seems to show up a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into the model a little bit. Okay. Because. So what they did, high level recap, they went to 10 clinicians, said, hey, over the next week, think about what it means to be present. Uh, important about these therapists is that they self-elected as oriented to presence in some way. Yeah, they've either been authors or They already yeah, knew about teachers. this idea of presence. Yeah. So there was little, nothing written about it in the article, but I would imagine very little telling them what to look for. Yeah, They read a definition of what presence is based on the literature to them and said, in the next week, pay attention to these moments. Yeah. And then we'll, we'll hang out and talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, then they come back, get the transcript through the interview, and then they study that. What they disseminate down through a series of... Condensations, yeah, as it's called. In yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Condensing what's been said into the meaningful moments. Um they came to sort of three domains of presence yeah. that then were kind of like tethered to what each of these participants sure. were saying as far as like language that helps tie us through string. Yep. Um, so they, they um, orient in this model has three um, stages, stages, preparation, process, and experience of presence. Um, the preparation is the preparing the ground for presence. The, uh, process is the process of presence. And then the, uh, experience is experiencing presence. Um, I'm curious, like maybe just for the listeners, we can think of like, who is just going through the, the language, maybe some of the best like ways to, I think so for this medium. Okay. Yeah. Cause if you're reading along, which we would love it if you did, but you don't have to, uh, page seven or 76 at the bottom yep. as figure one, where it's really like the key phrases and language that emerged from this study. Yeah, from conducting uh, qualitative analyses, this would be the primary themes and um, what are the theme units. So likely a lot of these things showed up in the transcripts and they coded them in a way to represent it, mm. which you have to pay attention to how many degrees of abstraction you are from the transcript, which we don't know from how they showed it. But the, the large stage is one that's sort of like if, if you can imagine the figure in your mind, there's three columns mm -hmm. to represent the stages. They have the, the major theme above for preparation, process, and experience. And then underneath them are these sub-themes. And beneath those themes are what I would 
reference as theme units, like mm-hmm. pieces from the transcripts that are now to be organized yeah. in each of these sub themes and yeah. major themes. Yeah. Consistent, uh, consistent breadcrumbs yes. across the interviews. Yes. Yeah. So, Beautiful way to say it, Caleb. Yeah. Yeah. That's an EBT way to Hell say yeah. it. <laughs> these are the breadcrumbs and here's the bowls we put them in. Yeah. See, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, you want to start with preparation? Yeah. I, I will just say as a person who, um, probably neurotically prepares for my day and to some people what would feel neurotic to me feels very healthy yeah um, <laughs> i was gonna say i don't experience yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah um i very much appreciate that the clinicians had this as a part of their understanding of presence yeah um, because they the clinicians kind of in the preparing the ground for presence so part of being present is you have to prepare for it yeah and that is both a preparation pre-session, but then I love that they added a preparation in life. In life. Yeah. So this like, I, and I, we talk about it all the time at Beyond, like the way we look at therapy isn't, it's another career. Right. It's a lifestyle. It is a like, calling. You yeah. are like to be, it feels like to be an honest therapist. And obviously that means like being able to switch states and have a work-life balance and all of that stuff. But it is a, it's a lifestyle yeah. to like hold what you hold, the process, what you to process. To walk around with it in this sea of people that are yeah. doing different things. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. To talk about some of the like depths of trauma and healing that we do. And then you walk out and you go get a cheeseburger. like Or feed my daughter. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you have yeah. to have some lifestyle attunement. There has order, to be congruence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In order to find that congruence. Yeah. But I love that. Like, Me too. I love- and I, I think for me, I had in the way they described coding these things, the tension first emerged for me of we talk about intersubjectivity a lot and it's not mentioned here in the article at all. So I'm kind of doing this, you know, um, analysis mm-hmm. of where is intersubjectivity in this. And one thing that I did feel, and I'm curious to know your experience is that it seems like presence created an objectification. I wrote of it as a humanitarian objectification. Mm. Like it's very well intentioned and I agree, beautiful. But talking about it and then not really naming what that tension feels like to, to prepare the things that you have to say no to the things that you have to say yes to, mm. the conditions and expectations that are put on you. It felt like throughout the article, those things were ghosts sort of lingering. Yeah. And there was this one clear path through towards presence that was in some way, paradoxically so, trying to make sense of how do I be open to myself and open to the client, but not in a specific way. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe like, I feel like what you're hitting on is the the density of that alone could be its own article. Like, yes. Do you understand what you're going into? Yeah. Do you, what challenges you to be present? Yeah. Yeah. And like I from a neurobiological standpoint, thinking of Cozyol, like yes. that like ah, I just I I wish I'll sp- I was going to speak for the whole world, but I'll speak just for myself. I wish my therapeutic training had 
had more space to understand the neurobiology of default modes and these uh, allostatic strategies that I employ every day, every hour. Without thinking about it. And can really get me into some enacting spaces in therapy that I could not be aware of. And yeah. like those become incredibly helpful experiences when I can become aware of them. Yeah, especially but, in a tuned relationship yeah. that can help you sort through them. Yeah. That's part of your preparation. Yes, like. yeah. But the like importance of being here, not in your default autopilot strategy, mm. but in your intentioned presence, like mm. that feels so important. And like that may be probably the most where I felt like neuroscience has something to say to this conversation. A lot to say, yeah. Like open and closed brain states, like really the prepping the ground could be like, are you opening up your brain? Yeah. Like, is your brain in an open state to receive and perceive beyond what it already knows? Yeah. Um, like for you personally, what does this column look like? Yeah. Well, I think every day I'm looking at the clients I have and I'm looking through past sessions. I'm building questions of curiosity and also finding the language I use is like I'm finding my key symbols or in SIP language, like the loops mm -hmm. we've been launching on and completing or like building through. Yeah. And I, to me, that is like um, very akin to if I was going to go and watch someone do a really sacred ritual, they're going to gather their tools and uh, all the things they need, they're going to set their space yeah. with like maybe an altar or something. The ritual. Yeah. Space. Or even a scientist, like a scientist is going to prepare for the experiment. 100%. The ritual of the experiment. I'm doing that by checking my notes, building my own sense of, and really it comes down to curiosity. Like for me, prepping the space is building like, what am I curious about? Yeah. I love just because I feel like you're talking to the pre-session kind of category right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just to read these bullet points that are listed there, intention for presence. That was one characteristic that they found over and over again. Clearing a space, putting aside self-concerns. That's an interesting one to me. Mm -hmm. Bracketing, including theories, preconceptions, therapy plans, et cetera. And then attitude of openness, acceptance, interest, and non-judgment. Yeah. So what do you feel given what you described your kind of orientation to presence is for pre-session and, and those bullet points? Yeah, I think I, in, the intention, huge for me. Like when I, I like to think and I feel very unprepared if I don't have like a body posture totally. felt sense going into a session. Like I will think through my clients of the day and feel my body like what? what sort of body posture do I want to have when I walk in? Mm. And when I sit down, like how does my body want to be? And oftentimes that's straight from the previous sessions. Um, clearing the space and openness all feel like to me can be consolidated into what am I curious about? Yeah, like, curiosity. What do, what do I want to know more of? Like if I jump into their experience, what what do I feel like I don't know that I want to know more? Yeah. Um, Do you feel like you have a, a, not to use language twice, but like a present orientation to that? Mm. Is there also, 
because of that lingering trajectory from your history with them, things yeah. you want to remember and pick back up. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. Cause I think for me, that's where the, what we were talking about earlier, the memory becomes such a crucial part that yeah. isn't really talked about in this article at all. Right. Is like, I'm bringing my embodied memory of past sessions or trying as best I can to reactivate that in my body. Yeah. Because like the Groundhog Day experience of therapy is so real. Oh man. You have a week, you don't know what the hell happened. You come back. Most clients don't even know what we did last session because yeah. they functionally dissociated for the sake of like having a job and surviving. Coherence in their yeah. life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So like my job as the therapist is to come in and not recollect, but to remember. remember. Yeah. To bring my body back into the state we've once been in. Yeah. So that their body can also remember too. So what I what I hear in that, and this is partly my language, um, is that you have in your openness an invitation to whatever feels important for this moment. Yeah. And that Though you might have wonderings about what you remembered, there's not an insistence on picking them back up and putting them in the yeah. present moment. Yeah, very much. And this is interesting because they don't talk about this in the article, but I think there would be some times where I do. I come in and, and I feel like I've been in an enactment with a client and I want to I start somewhere and see where we venture off from a set point that I, that my body places into the therapeutic moment rather yeah. than just being open to theirs and go where they're, which is a tension that all of therapy is holding is like, whose experience do we prioritize? Yeah. The therapists or the clients and it's or like, the us. Yeah. And it, Oh man, I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like the usness of yeah. like, um, this is where I feel disconnected sometimes from colleagues and then sometimes from clients as well, because I feel like for me and I feel like the Enneagram could be helpful. I feel like my own attachment history could be helpful, but I genuinely feel when I meet a client, like I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Mm. I don't know yet. Yeah. It, truly. Like I, I feel that way. Even though I have a similar preparation ritual of I look at the name and I remember. That's all I'm trying to do. And I'm trying to pick up on was there a trajectory of mobilization that we intended mm. from the conclusion of last session? Would that be meaningful for me to try and wake up? Or is there really just let's see where it is today? Mm -hmm. And I feel disconnected sometimes from people where it's like, you don't have like a plan. Well, I do mm -hmm. very yes. much so. Yeah. But it doesn't have insistence on me introducing it. Yeah. Or demand. Yeah. I trust yeah. that whatever is going to happen is supposed to happen. And I share that with consultees sometimes that I just get like blank looks of like, what do you mean? What? <laughs> yeah. 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 I genuinely believe that whatever is going to happen is supposed to happen. Yeah. Then that's a full representation of your intentions, the client's intentions, and this crazy, chaotic, beautiful dance of the us. Yeah. Which what you're talking about feels like a transition. And I feel like I'll just say this for us as much as I'll say this also for 
like the people listening, it feels like today all we're going to get through is preparing the ground. Yeah. And maybe we'll do a part two of talking about process of presence and experiencing presence. I'm so glad presence. you had an awareness because I had totally lost track of time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, I've shaken off the rust. I'm yeah, back, yeah, yeah. baby. You're back, baby. Yeah. But I think what you were saying is taking us from the pre-session into the preparation in life preparing the ground for therapy mm. and presence in life in life and it like i think what you're talking about my language would be like that's a that is a faith that you that you hold yeah as far as like a philosophical posture towards presence yeah as a human yeah what what needs to happen will um which is ooh, like i frankly i love it i'm here for it <laughs> I'm very much of that same posture, but I also empathize a lot with the felt tension mm-hmm. that a lot of people experience philosophically of like, but what do I do with the bad sessions? The sessions where nothing gets done. Yeah. The sessions where it felt like a total dud or like the sessions where we got, we both got so activated and then we just had to stop because totally. time is a thing. Like, yeah. As a conclusion from my perspective, I would share that, is there a space where any of that can be shared? Mm. Like, because I don't want to come across as I'm some, you know, like detached observer of a time. Like right. That, I'm right. very involved, very You're engaged. Not unaffected. <laughs> no, not yeah. at all. I yeah. am super engaged yeah. um, in the session. But it comes from this place that I trust the us in this moment. And whatever happens, I know within me. I'm committed to repairing it and incorporating it into our trajectory as a whole. Mm -hmm. And by that trajectory, our treatment goals will naturally find their completion and discover more Mm -hmm. as we go. But can we talk about the intersubjective essence of what those collaborations felt like, what that dissonance felt like, and what some of these more violent enactments felt like? Yeah. Where we were against each other. Yeah. Can yeah. we talk about it? Yeah. Or no? Mm-hmm. Is there not a stomach for it in the us of me and my client? Yeah. And that's a part of what I'm trying to work through with them. Yeah. Yeah. And in that way, I think maybe a what I'm feeling is a simpler way to say it or sus- more succinct is like what we're not saying is everything that happens is good. But what we are saying is everything that happens is meaningful totally if you're willing to witness it like the the mutual activation that willing the, and able willing yeah. and able yeah yeah like the mutual activation of a session where we're both dysregulated and it's like shit we've got to end that which, sucks yes that does suck and it might be exactly what needs to be witnessed yes is like this sucks and that's okay like it's that not is my presence. fault it's not your fault and that's maybe the paradox or the maybe the irony of presence research is like you're telling me that the most healing happens in mutual recognition of a moment and it's like yeah and that's like the most simple and complex thing to say ever crazy dynamic yeah 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 again as duplicitous as there are consciousnesses yeah yeah oh so i want to just read back yes so for preparing the ground i just want to read kind of the language they say so For preparing the ground for presence in pre-session, they talk about, which you've already named, intention for presence, clearing a space, 
put in aside self-concerns. I would make a asterisk of putting aside does not mean get rid of. Amen. Uh, bracketing, bracketing your theories, preparations, precon- preconceptions, therapy plans, and then a- having an attitude of openness, acceptance, interest, and non-judgment. What they then say for in life is preparing the ground for presence means that you are having a philosophical commitment to presence, that you're committed to your own personal growth, that you practice presence in your own life, that you have a sort of meditation posture in your life um, or practice, and you are ongoing in the care for yourself and your own needs, which is like a, like, if ever there was a, well, there's a call for action for therapists listening. <laughs> exactly. <Yes. laughs> like, are you in therapy? Are you in therapeutic practices? Maybe is the better way to say it. Because therapy is not the only zone of ther- therapeutic experience. Are you in your own therapeutic experiences? Are you, are you willing to try what you say to yeah. do? And like, try it on. And if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. You can still recommend it. <laughs> But are you willing to feel through the tension of what it means to be present in what you're saying? Trapped by the criticisms of your own expectations. Yeah. Mm. That's a that's a dense statement. (laughs) And I love it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Like it's hard. Yeah. It really is, especially when life is what life is. Mm. You know, I've had in my own practice moments that have felt like they are overflowing into the session and it it feels out of my control like uh, this is what's going on in my life and you need to know that (laughs) like yeah for me to be able to even have a space right now Mm -hmm. together and that is a part for me of like i have to have that as an essential ingredient yeah i will never let if i can control it in any way the client experience me as this completely stable upward trajectory of personal growth and arriving anywhere. Yeah. That's not real. Like I'm in process, like you're in process. Yes. And that's the physical, like, or that's the philosophical posturing of presence is that it is not unilateral directionality. Yeah. It is, are you with the waves? And to realize that your body has, debatably billions of years of evolution to ride those waves yeah. and maintain a level of health and integration. Yeah. I love the idea of waves as, as if we're both on the same wave, we could be at different points mm. to where you seem ahead of me and then you're below me mm. and I'm ahead of you and then I'm below you. Yeah. And we're riding the same wave, Yeah, but we're in motion. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's awesome. That is inner subjectivity. So sick, dude. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Crushed it. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed the audition. Welcome back. Nailed <laughs> the audition. Didn't get the part, though. You know who did, though? Yo Yo, Yo Ma's little cousin. Cousin, little nepotiz. Little nepotiz. Yeah. That's when I decided to quit music and pursue teaching. Yeah. Because for those that can't do, teach. teach. And, and for those who can't, can't teach, teach Jim. Uh, if you are <laughs> a fan of uh, School <laughs> of Rock and Jack Black, you should know that. If you are not, well, mm, you're welcome. <laughs> Go watch uh, it. <laughs> maybe you should be. I don't know. <laughs> no, I won't say shoulds because I want you to present in the way that feels right to you. Yeah. And did you uh, bring another set of pants? Uh, no. Because <laughs> you're going to shit all over yourself. <laughs> you're going to need them. 
classic therapy joke. Come on, Grant. Come on, Grant. Uh, Grant, if you're listening, thank you for that. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's a good sweet ping pong sesh. And the sweet ping pong sesh, which had a lot of probably the seeds of any good idea we've had ever had has been built in the play of ping pong. Amen. Whether it be intellectually or physically. And that is presencing, my friends. Ooh, a verb. All right. Thanks, guys. Part two next time. Part two. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you stay curious and create community around discussing the research that matters most to clinicians and researchers. If you're curious to learn more about something you heard today, check out our website at www beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming case conceptualization trainings and community events. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes. Leave us a review and follow us on social media by searching the Evidence-Based Therapist Podcast. <laughs>